This episode of She Does is brought to you by CardsDirect.com. With over 5,000 cards to choose from, you can design the perfect holiday card with CardsDirect.com. The holidays are just a few weeks away, so create your cards today, plus save 25% off at checkout when you visit CardsDirect.com slash She Does. While you're in the edit, people are like, oh, it's your first film. Oh, you're in the edit, so it might not happen and you're a first time filmmaker. And it's hard on your ego a lot of the times because it's like, I don't trust myself because everyone's just kind of reinforcing that, you know, you're a first time filmmaker, you don't know anything. If anything, now I trust myself a little bit. I think that's huge because if you're not trusting yourself, you can't be creative. Welcome to She Does Podcast. I'm Elaine Sheldon. And I'm Sarah Ginsberg. Today on the show, we have Mo Scarpelli and Alexandria Bomback, independent documentary filmmakers and co-directors of the award-winning documentary Frame by Frame. The gorgeous music you'll be hearing in this episode is by Juliana Barwick. Tune in next week to learn more about her. Mo and Alexandria's film, Frame by Frame, follows four Afghan photojournalists, three men and one woman, as they face the realities of building a free press in a country left to stand on its own after decades of war and the oppressive Taliban regime. From 1996 to 2001, the Taliban ruled Afghanistan. And during that time, taking a photo was a crime. Afghanistan is suddenly caught world attention. After the regime fell from power in 2001, a fledgling free press emerged and a photography revolution was born. But as foreign troops and media withdraw, Afghanistan is left to stand on its own and so are its journalists. Through cinema verite, intimate interviews, powerful photojournalism, and never-before-seen archival footage shot in secret during the Taliban regime, Frame by Frame connects audiences with four humans in the pursuit of truth. We didn't have this before. These 10 years was a revolution for photography in Afghanistan, that everybody in Afghanistan tried to record the history and the moment themselves trying to be voice for those people who cannot shout. I think it is the responsibility for, of all photographers and journalists in Afghanistan to not let whatever happened during the Taliban or civil war to happen again. Taliban will come back somehow. And I feel that I will be one of those people who, I mean, be faced with the revenge of this, I mean, extremists. It may be difficult, but I will find ways. I will always stand for what I believe. The film has screened over 50 times and has garnered press and awards from festivals. It world premiered at South by Southwest this year and was voted one of the top 10 audience favorites at Hot Docs Film Festival. And right now, times are getting exciting and kind of crazy as they work to qualify frame by frame for Oscar consideration. Mo and Alexandria are extremely self-sufficient filmmakers and women, both having worked alone on most film projects before this one. They both started their own film companies and both have carved out their own niche. Mo in the documentary and journalism world, Alexandria in the outdoor filmmaking world. 
Their paths first crossed in Africa. Mo was looking for someone to help her shoot a short film in Ethiopia, and she had never met Alexandria before, but she took a risk. We basically sent her a ticket, she got on a plane, and then we like met literally like in this tiny, tiny village called Abiyadi in the middle of nowhere. That's like the first time we saw each other, I guess. How did you choose her? Yeah. I, I recommended through a friend. I like just asked, do you know anyone who would shoot in Africa for two weeks <laughs> with very little power and very little sustenance? <laughs> do you see yourself as being known for that in your work? Like you'll go and go anywhere. You're to great lengths to... Yeah, I think I probably would be known for that. I thought Mo's email inviting me to go to Ethiopia was like an email from a Nigerian princess or something. And I didn't really believe that it was happening. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure, see you in Ethiopia, whatever. But then the, the, the ticket came in like a week before. And I remember because I had to get um, some shots and it was like you had to take the shot before 10 days before and I only had seven. But I love that kind of stuff. I mean... I think both Mo and I get uncomfortable when shoots are too organized or like if people work with a union or something, it's like, and they stop at a certain time, just would just blow our minds. I think definitely used to and kind of thrive in chaotic environments. And that's where Mo and Alexandria fell into their stride as a team. They worked on a couple other projects together after that. But Mo says she came to filmmaking in a very naive way. I was really used to working on my own. I was trained in journalism, and I didn't even really know what a film crew was. We had a cinematographer, and the cinematographer was like, well, I want the DP credit. And I was like, let me go Google what that is. And I had to like look up what a DP was. I had no idea. I was just like, we're making a film, but I don't know anything about this film stuff. I mean, formal film like terms and stuff. I had been doing short doc style stuff for, I don't know, five or seven years by that point. Mo was trained as a journalist at the University of Missouri. She believed in the power of nonfiction storytelling, but she was not super into traditional news. I was really bored at it and I was actually really bad at it. I worked at the TV station and I was like, I, I had like pitched a story on graffiti or something. So I like went to downtown Columbia, Missouri and like interviewed people about graffiti and like interviewed the mayor. But I ended up interviewing this activist guy who was just super interesting, had all these other things that had nothing to do with graffiti. And I talked to him for like three hours and like used the entire tape on his interview. And they were like, what are you doing? This is a 30 second news package. You suck at this. And I was like, I don't think I want to do this. I just want to hang out with Graham, the guy, the artist on the street and just like talk with this person longer. She knew she wanted to tell stories, but less newsy, more documentary style. She was drawn to all forms of media, audio, photo, and film. She continued to make short films, and after college, she worked in the news industry for eight months. But that's all she could take. She quit her job to work for Charity Water for two and a half years. And this job took her to five countries a year around the world, where she was telling stories about water and sanitation. She continues to do nonprofit work and short journalism work today. Mo has produced documentary work about Occupy Wall Street, NYPD's stop and frisk, teachers' strikes in Kenya, Sierra Leone's fight against cholera, and tuberculosis in the South African gold mining industry, among many other international health stories. Alexandria bought her first camera when she was 13. She went to school for business and marketing at Fort Lewis, a liberal arts school, and she was encouraged by professors to make some films in college. She graduated during the 2008 recession. I just went to be a waitress because no one had any jobs and I hated it so much. And, um, and I was like, you know, if I can't 
if I can't get a job in something mediocre like a marketing job, I might as well do exactly what I want. And so, and that was starting a film company. My first film idea was to tell stories of people who live simply to do what they love outside. And so the film was called 23 Feet, and that was um, the size of the Airstream. And so we interviewed, I went with two of my friends and we interviewed people all across the West that were living in buses to serve for um, cars to climb and stuff like that, just living on the road. This life on the road led her to working with companies in the outdoor industry. But being one of the only women making outdoor films comes with challenges. It's hard to have women in film. Um, and then it's like women in the outdoor industry, it's like a double whammy that you're up against. And I've been to a lot of film festivals where I was the only woman on stage out of like 50 filmmakers. It's not an easy path for a lot of women because it is such a, a boys club. And it's also just like, if you can't see it, you're not gonna be it. They're, like people, women aren't going for those jobs because they don't see other women in those jobs. I mean, Outside Magazine is putting the face of Jimmy Chin, but then they're putting the body of every woman athlete like naked. And I think a lot of it is changing is because people are focusing more on story. Whereas like when Red came out and everything, everyone was like droplets off of skis and audiences are used to seeing that kind of like insane footage and they've become kind of numb towards it. And so the whole industry has gone more towards story, which is great because there are uh, um, more and more women getting into that field because they're damn good storytellers. Alexandria started an online film series called Move Shake. It was sponsored by Cliff, Osprey and Horny Toad about people who dedicate their lives to a social or environmental cause. One of those subjects was Shannon Gilpin, who started Mountain to Mountain in Afghanistan. Mountain to Mountain has launched projects across Afghanistan to create opportunities for young women that were unimaginable 10 years ago. In 2009, Shannon became the first woman to ride a mountain bike in Afghanistan in an effort to challenge perceptions of gender barriers and show a different side of the country back home. It was in this footage for the film about Shannon that Alexandria discovered the scene that would inspire Frame by Frame. I hadn't been yet. I was just handed a hard drive of footage from this guy who ended up being one of our line producers. And he had um, just put a camera in the middle of the street, shot down the middle of the street, um, and left the camera rolling for 20 minutes. That was his idea of B-roll. <laughs> I was just watching it and just, you know, kind of rolling my eyes. But then I started seeing all this stuff happening in this frame where people were talking to each other. Some guy was walking his dog. People were drinking tea. And it, I became really invested and emotional about this footage because it was something I had never seen from Afghanistan. I had only seen media that we're used to seeing from uh, just suicide bombing and stuff like that. Never seen that side of just Afghanistan still for a second. This scene on the street sparked Alexandria's curiosity. She wanted to know more and wanted to hear it from those living it, from local storytellers. Her life on the road, from Airstream to pickup truck and a suitcase, was about to change. Alexandria sold her truck and bought tickets to Afghanistan. And one of those tickets was for Mo. So we met Najibul and Wakil while there. Wakil even asked us the first day we met him, he was like, well, I'm gonna go film under this bridge with a bunch of heroin addicts, do you wanna come? And we were like, yes, that sounds perfect. And so it was a really, really quick two weeks. Um, we had, and when I got back and got the translations and started looking at the footage, 
the interviews were so amazing. It just was kind of this realization that this is not a short. And I remember being in Mexico and like putting my head on my laptop and crying to my friend and like actually crying because I was like, oh no, it's a feature. Because <laughs> I had only made films 40 minutes and under up until that point. Knowing this was a feature, she asked Mo to come back to Afghanistan with her. They fundraised over $70,000 on Kickstarter in July of 2013 and went back to Afghanistan in October for six weeks, for a total of eight weeks of production. Alexandria and Mo followed the lives of four individuals who all lived through the brutal Taliban regime and have found their own path through photography. Farzana Wahidi has made documenting the lives of Afghan women, once forbidden as a subject matter, her calling. We see Farzana's devotion to the subjects and level of care, privacy, and respect she gives women's stories. We also see the hardships and struggles she faces as a woman documenting women and exposing harsh truths. One such scene, she tries to persuade a hospital doctor to let her shoot female immolation victims, and she's turned away. Alexandria Mo also featured three men photographers, one of those being Farzana's husband, Masood Hussani. Masood is an Associated Press photographer. His 2011 photograph of a young girl crying in the moments following a brutal bomb attack earned him a Pulitzer Prize in breaking news. We also see Wakil Kosar documenting social issues such as free elections and drug addiction. And then we meet Najibullah Musafar, who devotes his time to educating the next generation of photographers. Shooting in Afghanistan presented challenges that Mo and Alexandria had to navigate, one being language. For most shoots, they had a translator and a fixer, but not always. Sometimes it was just Mo and Alexandria observationally shooting. They wanted to capture everyday life, life in the newsroom, life in the grocery store. And they were also on a limited time schedule, only in the country for two months. So they would shoot everything. The, all the verite in the film, we didn't know really fully what was going on beyond what you would know if there were no subtitles there. So if you just couldn't read those subtitles, like that's what we saw when we would be filming. You know, you just keep rolling, you're like, well, I hope it's good. In a situation that's tense, you might not realize the tension right away because you can't tell what people are saying. You might not realize anything, really, except that there's a conversation and you're like, well, maybe this will be useful. And so you just keep filming. And later, like, you have, you filmed so much just in case because you couldn't tell what was happening and you ended up capturing stuff that was really great. There were conversations that people would look very intense as they were having them. And you would be filming it and watching this like on a long lens and then the sound would be really good and the shot would be really good and you're like, oh, I know, I know this is something good. Listen to how passionate they are. And then you get into the editing room and the translator is like, oh, they're talking about a rug sale that's <laughs> happening down the street. Oh, <laughs> and yes. you're like, great, awesome rug sale. <laughs> <laughs> The translator, the driver, Alexandria, and Mo, as a four-person team in a white Toyota Corolla. Our fixer, Naji, he was everything to us. He was our translator. He helped us get access into certain places, um, which can be a big process. Even going down underneath the heroin bridge, he was the first person that a lot of the, the addicts would see. And you know, he is not a big guy. He's got like coke bottle glasses and this like little green suit and a mustache and he's the most adorable man on the in the world and he just like folds his hands in front of his jacket and speaks really softly and everything just calms down 
He also did our interviews, which he had actually been a filmmaker before the Soviets invaded. So he is just, I mean, this film would not be what it is without him. They shot every day, all day, for six weeks. It was intense, and they had no choice but to learn how to make decisions on the fly. And they learned how to dance around each other with their cameras, one with a long lens and one with a wide lens, anticipating each other's movements in order to stay out of the camera's frame. They would rise at 6 a.m. to catch the morning light and stay up to 1 a.m. dumping footage from the camera to the computer, which was often delayed by power outages. You guys are both great cinematographers, and I'm just wondering if you can talk about your process and how you think about light and framing and things like that and what it was like to shoot there. Yeah, there was a lot of pressure in this film to for two reasons. The film's about photography, and so we wanted to focus on you know shooting the film in that kind of way. And Mo and I are probably more snobby than most when it comes to cinematography, that we really want there to be great footage. I mean, we're not the kind of people who, we do run behind, Mo literally ran behind Masood um, getting footage, but we put an extra effort in because their photography is so stunning and we wanted the footage to be stunning as well. And another thing is that we just hadn't seen that from films in Afghanistan. A lot of the films we were seeing were people, the B-roll that they were getting was shooting out of a car window. And there's such a separation there. Even when you're watching it as an audience member, it stills foreign because you're like, oh, you can't even get out of the car and it's gonna be blurred and all these lives are just zooming past you and they don't matter. And the footage is shaky and you're not translating what people are saying. You're not sitting on anything. You're not absorbing anything. So it was really important for us to focus on that kind of cinematography where it was like allowed people to absorb this place and honestly it was super easy and we were shocked we were constantly shocked and especially when we'd go out just to shoot b-roll in the evening time that more films don't have more beautiful footage from afghanistan because it's so easy to shoot there <laughs> because there's dust in the air so it's like this diffused light golden light The colors too. I mean, there's two specific shots that stick with me, and it's the open, like the first shot of the boat cutting through. Oh, nice. I mean, that I knew that I was like, if this if this represents a lot of the film, or if this is how they're starting it, like this is, I can tell that you guys, you know, took great care to think about each frame, and it is meta, yeah. Yeah. But um, and then that shot where um, I forgot the photographer's name, but the He's in a pink wall and he was praying and he like comes oh, yeah. up. Mm, that I, I mean like that that, I think that'll stick Who's with me forever. Who's responsible for that? Yeah, shot. thanks. That's, I mean, <laughs> yeah, also like a, a man against pink. There's just so much that I really liked about it. Yeah, that that was huge for us. That one scene. I'm really glad that resonated with you because we had seen so many. You see a lot of footage of people praying, and it's always masses of people with their butts in the air. And also, Joaquil was in a suit in a pink room by himself, and that's how he prays. And he prays everywhere. Our fixer was praying everywhere, and it's just so it, that was a really important scene. And why we open with Joaquil with that um, is because it is not what you're used to seeing. And I think a lot of the things what you mentioned the Swan Boat, we were so excited about opening their stories with that shot because we didn't expect it. Who expects some guy <laughs> who is the cutest man on earth to come across the frame in a swan boat in Afghanistan? <laughs> in Afghanistan. Yeah, so um, I think there was a lot of irony in a lot of the shots and a lot of contradictions that we were excited to um, 
really bring to the forefront in a lot of the cinematography. People who know our work separately or um, got to know us as a team for this film told us that they could feel like the film, they could feel us in Afghanistan when they watched the film. And I think a lot of that is like that we really wanted to convey the contradictions, the things that surprised us, the things that were funny or silly to us. And it's always heartbreaking when you can't include something that's like silly to you and you realize it's not really falling with everyone else. But it's amazing when you can include some things where you were just like, what? And and you get to like put it in the film and then you watch the audience go, what? <laughs> and you're like, right? And, and Afghans would say the same thing. You know, it's not even really about like, can you believe that Afghans do? It's not at all like we, we were really careful not to make a film that was going to be like, like, there are people, too. Like, of course there are people, too. Like, I don't want to think the audience thought that they were, like, not humans. But we wanted to do it in a way that, like, everyone, anyone who would watch it would really just be like, ah, humans are weird. <laughs> or strange or wonderful or beautiful or all these things that we, we felt intensely when we were there. And now, let's take a little break to hear from our sponsor. Deck the halls this year with custom holiday cards from CardsDirect.com. Whether it's for your family or business, CardsDirect.com has you covered with traditional and corporate cards in a variety of unique printing formats. You can add a photo, logo, or custom message. With over 5,000 cards to choose from, you're sure to create the perfect holiday card. Plus, with Express Shipping, they'll be here quick, like the holidays. She Does listeners save an extra 25% off at CardsDirect.com slash she does. Don't wait. The holidays are only five weeks away. Visit cardsdirect.com slash she does. And now back to the show. When I was watching it, I kept thinking I had a, um, a mentor who was the AP bureau chief during Vietnam War and during the Vietnam War in Saigon. And he like didn't leave after the war. And he like really represents sort of those golden years of journalism, um, which were very male, but at the same time, I respect those years. There was like a lot of pride in reporting truth, despite what people with money had to say. And so I, when I was watching the film, I kind of felt like we were witnessing that pureness again in Afghanistan. I feel like media in America right now, like we we have we are so accustomed to seeing so many images and so much media that it doesn't hold as much power sometimes. Mm -hmm. But like there was something about watching these people make images about Afghanistan. Um, they themselves like being part of this like sort of revolution of being able to document that made it feel like I was witnessing what it could have been like during those golden days of journalism like when America wasn't totally saturated with celebrity news and all this crap that we are inundated with. Did you guys feel like you were witnessing some like a really important moment in history for them? I, I think so. Um, being able to see local photographers cover their own like country their own people it was such a huge impact on me um, and it made me want to cover more stories where I'm from because it's a whole nother level of connection that you have with your subjects and you can see it especially with Farzana no one else can tell the stories that she can in that entire country with her a level of expertise and talent and um, experience that she's had over the last decade of doing this I think for me it's very important right now to be in Afghanistan and to be documenting. And at some points it gets impossible for Afghan men photographer because they are men and they can't get access. 
Farzana documents women's stories where men don't have access. She's literally the only person telling these stories of health crises, human rights, and abuse. We see her fighting for access in hospitals and in private spaces and public spaces. No one can do that but her. And the amount of respect and appreciation I have for that is just something that's completely changed my life. And it's kind of both a blessing and a burden. Like it is she's like got her. a lot of weight to carry. She does, and I, I think I was definitely reminded of it when she came for a month into the states to screen the film. It was great for them to see the film with an audience because you know they had never had the cameras turned on them before, and to see people's reactions, it was quite the emotional experience. And um, I think they were shocked, especially Farzana, how people felt about it, and just overwhelmed. And I remember at one point, Farzana, we had left a screening in Seattle, and she stopped to put um, lipstick on, and she grabbed my face and um, our outreach coordinator Chelsea's face to put lipstick on us, and she was giggling, and I almost started like sobbing. I had to turn away because I was like, she's my age, and she's just a girl, and she has to deal with so much. <laughs> it's and it was just this moment of like, oh yeah, like we're just two women um, and you can be really, really goofy. And she talked about it a lot, like the pressure that's on her. It's overwhelming and it, it must be. And she's a very, very strong person. While she's a photojournalist, she's also like an ally of people who have never been able to tell anyone these things that they're telling her. So she wears that. When it really comes down to it, like, these things haunt her. She'll never forget what it feels like to ask the questions that she asks and get the answers she, that she gets. Her reality is a very different reality than I'll ever know. And even if I lived in Afghanistan, I will never know what it's like to have that many, like, living stories in my, like, consciousness. And I think, um, actually, while we were, while she was with us, she preemptively bought a ticket to go back to Afghanistan to keep shooting a project and then come back to the U.S. for festivals. So she like left for a week because she was like, I have to keep covering this really important thing that has to do with this woman who was brutalized in Kabul. So it mattered enough to her that she bought like a ticket to leave this whole thing and leave her what was supposed to be her kind of time off with Masood and I think she's just kind of always living with this reality of like, I have to do this. Like no matter what happens, I have to be the one who's there. If I'm not, who will? Working with and respecting local voices comes first to Mo and Alexandria. Having documented lives all around the globe for nonprofits who have vast resources beyond their beneficiaries and independent projects, Mo has come to understand the importance of making your intentions of why and what you're doing very clear. You don't have to say what the end result is going to be. You don't know. And I think in the past, when I first started out and I was, you know, young and I was working with the nonprofit and I was traveling, I would be like, well, I think it's really important for everyone to know. And I would have these kind of reasons that were really idealistic. And I've stripped a lot of that away to just be like, listen, I'm curious. I have no idea what it's like to survive a civil war in Liberia. Can you tell me about it? And I really think just going back to like truly why you're there, what about the story like st struck you? Because that really with us with Frame by Frame, like having their consent and also just their trust in us to tell a story 
was was amazing and it, and a lot of it like alexandria said was because they're storytellers themselves and they were like okay so you're gonna try to dig into a like a true story here about us having the trust of people is a beautiful thing but it's also a heavy weight to carry a responsibility you must carefully balance and consider. The emotional pressure of making their first feature film weighed heavily on Mo and Alexandria. The edit definitely changed me because um, editing the film, I mean, the amount of pressure to make sure we did the story justice became exponential. It was just so much pressure. And we, Mo and I were wearing many hats. I mean, we were, were first-time filmmakers for a feature-length film. And so there was not a lot of people to support us in those beginning stages. And once the Kickstarter money ran out, it was pretty dire. And so when that's leaning on you and um, you also have this like incredible story from four different individuals that trusted you, not only with their work life, but with their home life and their past and the things that haunt them, presenting their story to the world. I mean, the amount of responsibility was just overwhelming at times. And I think that experience definitely changed the way I think about film and the reason I want to do the next story and, and why I want to do the next story. While you're in the edit, people are like, oh, it's your first film. Oh, you're in the edit, so it might not happen and you're a first time filmmaker. And I don't know, it's hard on your ego <laughs> a lot of the times because it's like, I don't trust myself because everyone's just kind of reinforcing that, you know, you're a first time filmmaker, you don't know anything. If anything, now I trust myself a little bit. I think that's huge because if you're not trusting yourself, you can't be creative because it's such a distraction. And if you trust yourself and you can sit with your ideas, you're able to take feedback better. You're able to like, you're able to be a better collaborator and a better um um, creative in gener general. So um, for the next project, yeah, I think that's going to be a huge thing that I'm just, I'm so much more excited about it because I don't dread the scary parts of how does investment work? How does it work to get into a big film festival? How does, um, you know, starting an LLC for a film work? All these different things that I can secure in my head. I was like, okay, now I know how to do that and I can focus on making the next film way better. I think it goes without saying that co-directing is hard. There are two strong visions, two personalities, two ways of approaching and experiencing the world, both working toward one vision, one film. And a lot of the times, Mo and Alexandria could just look at one another and know what the other one was thinking. But it wasn't always this easy, especially in the heat of the edit, when things get stressful. Obviously, you're spending this much time with another person, it's really difficult. So sometimes we would say, you know, we're in it for the kids, and that the kid is the film. And as far as Mo and I working together anymore, probably will never happen. We had our marriage. <laughs> it was lovely. It was a lovely marriage. <laughs> and it, I think- I'm so I think, proud of what we did yeah. as a thing because it was it was so specifically what it was. And yeah. we can see ourselves and in it and we can see each other in it. I'll never be able to make something that is specifically that by myself and never could have and vice versa. I don't know, both of us are very ambitious and have a lot of like stories that we want to tell and I think we're 
Yeah, I think interested it was in a, telling those different um, It was a good match for this film because Mo was coming from a journalism background, and um, I had done a lot of short character-driven docs, and so that combination of things, of this being a film about free press and a character-driven film, it kind of collided into something that we're both really proud of. But whenever you're choosing stories or you're drawn to stories, like thinking more about not yourself in a selfish way, but like I want to be having this experience for the next year or so, or is it more about like this story needs to be, who do, what do you think of first? Like the experience you're about to have or like what it could be or that the story needs to be told? I think I will always probably approach things from like, what is the story? What does it warrant? How do I see it? I have to be like thick in the weeds in almost everything I do to actually know what I want. I like constantly live in a state of doubt about everything all the time unless I'm like in the weeds and then I'm like can finally see what it is that I actually think makes sense and comes together and what elements of it really are compelling to me as a story. I've been so immersed in frame by frame I have no idea what story is out there that that like I could off the bat be like that's a feature like film and like go and do it. So I, I guess like yeah immersing in the story and seeing what Fits. And I think sometimes I also am excited in future projects, too, to like look at different mediums as well. So while feature length films are amazing and this was an incredible film and I loved making a feature length film, I still want to kind of like be open to things, maybe just being a photo essay or maybe being more of an audio piece or, you know, whatever the story kind of warrants. For me, um, definitely everything that is successful in my life is driven by my own curiosity. And it's something that I'm curious about. I don't know everything about the topic, but it relates back to some core of who I am. A lot of things relate back to like sense of place or purpose or why you're doing something. Um, you know, I'm definitely an avid feminist and I'm so anti-single-use plastic and there's like a million other things. But I don't think I could make films in those departments because I am so sure. I'm not curious. I definitely know exactly how I feel about it. And I have researched it and read about it and I, I, I'm pretty good. I know. And so I, I feel like what motivates me is like wanting to know more about a, a certain topic. And I think I'll always pursue stories in that vein and whether they're shorts or features. How do you make sure that every day you're adding to yourself as like personally and professionally? What are some personal habits you have that you try to do that help you grow? Two things that are really important to me is I think finding inspiration in things that aren't film, in a great essay that I read or um, in a painting or in a, you know, just kind of absorbing other forms of, of story in art, I guess. So that's something that helps me like, and I do every day now. I'm like, I need to read my book. <laughs> like I need to, cause I just shut that stuff off for so long. And I was like, film, 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 film. And I think it's, it's good to dive back in. The other thing for me too, is just having like really important relationships in my life, like really close relationships with people that hold me accountable for who I am and what I do. And I think I, I like became very attention deficit because I, I can be, have very, I'm really task oriented and then I'm just like, shut everything else off until it's done. But when you're making a film that takes 
a long time and you isolate yourself from people and even if you're engaged because they're sitting there you're not like fully engaged I'm like learning how to re-engage it sounds so sad because I should like not have let that go but I think it's so important to like practice it actually and like every day because how am I ever going to have like maintain empathy with other people if I can't understand what a real relationship and the responsibility like not responsibilities but like the innate things that tie you to somebody else like personally I need to like keep a hold of that and really treasure it and grow it in my own life too. Alexandria is still living her nomadic life out of a suitcase traveling to film fests and traveling to start her next project. My grandpa was like sat me down he was like I'm concerned because you've been doing this for a while, the whole traveling thing, and you probably don't have much community going on in your life. And I was like, mm, yeah, not a lot. It's hard. And that's what like first film was really about is like, how do you have community when you live on the road? And he was like really, really concerned. And I was like, Grandpa, you, you know nuns? Like, just imagine me as a nun for filmmaking. And he's like, I can live with that. That sounds good. <laughs> and yeah, I think I've made that choice. And I think I'm really, really happy with it. I definitely have balance in like, I do yoga and I go, I definitely run and um, if I don't spend time underneath the stars, I get a little weirded out. I definitely have to spend time outdoors, but at least right now and I think for at least the next, the five-year plan is um, pretty hardcore dedication, but no one's proposed yet, so. Do you get (laughs) lonely though? Lonely? Yeah, totally. I think, I think everybody does, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to Mo and Alexandria for being so honest about the difficulties of making their first feature film. We think the lessons they learned through Frame by Frame could be applied to many art forms. But most importantly, you must see the film now. There are nearly 30 upcoming screenings between now and March, including a release in LA and New York this month. You can see Frame by Frame at the IFC Center in New York City from Friday, November 20th through Thursday, November 26th. They also have a theatrical on-demand campaign where you get to fill the theater with your friends. Request a screening at framebyframethefilm.com slash see the film. This episode was produced by us, Elaine Sheldon, and Sarah Ginsberg, and sound design is by Billy Rorasnik, and music is by Juliana Barwick. Tune in next week to learn about the time she played piano for Yoko Ono. Visit our website, shedoespodcast.com, to find links to Frame by Frame, Mo's work, and Alexandria's work. And leave us an iTunes review, or donate at shedoespodcast.com support. Thank you for listening to She Does. <laughs>